Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I couldn't be more thrilled that you're here with me this week. I can't believe that it is almost October. So this episode is being released literally two days before the beginning of October. And this year is going by so quickly. I have no idea how time is going by so fast. But I also know from all of my coaching clients and my old days in corporate that this is the time of year that we start preparing for performance reviews. So typically, not only are we giving them to our staff, but we are also receiving them. And what I know from coaching many people, as well as my own experience, is, you know, giving feedback that's great is really fun to do. But giving constructive feedback that um, might hurt someone's feelings, especially someone that you work with and that you're really close to, and with everything right now going on with the talent wars, I know as leaders, everyone is concerned around retaining their current staff and um, making sure that they're highly engaged and that they're happy at work. And so it's really this dual-edged sword for leaders Because as I'm speaking to leaders, what I'm hearing from them in my coaching sessions are this time of year, you know, I hate giving feedback. It makes me really uncomfortable. I get anxious. I can't sleep. I, you know, am planning out the conversation. And, you know, there's so much angst around feedback. And that's exactly why I wanted to have Meredith Bell, my next guest on the show today. Meredith is a is the co-founder and she's also the president of Performance Support Systems, which is a global software company that provides assessment and development tools for the workplace. And I can't wait for you to hear Meredith's story because it's so interesting, the pivot that she took in her career. So I can't wait for you to not only hear her advice on how to give and receive feedback, but also her career pivot, because I really think there's something valuable for you as you listen to the episode. So Meredith is an expert in leader and team communications. We all know how important communications are. Uh, She's the author of three books, and she's also the host of the Strong for Performance podcast. So Meredith and her two business partners have worked together for about 30 years And many of their clients have been with them and doing business with them for more than 20 years. So she has a long list of loyal clients. And in the interview, it will be very easy for you to see why. Meredith is such a gem. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And I know that by you listening to this episode, you will feel much more comfortable both giving feedback and receiving feedback as it comes to the end of this year. So I can't wait to dive into the conversation with Meredith Bell. And if you find this episode helpful and you find it helps you feel more comfortable both giving and receiving feedback, then please pass the episode on to a friend or a colleague that might need the information to feel a little bit more confident during this process. So let's dive into my conversation with the lovely Meredith Bell. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. 
I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Meredith, I have been looking forward to this conversation. I'm so grateful you are here today. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, I'm excited about our conversation too, Natalie. I can hardly wait. (laughs) So I would love if you would just start by sharing a little bit about yourself and your career history and what you're passionate about. At heart, I've always been a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher as a kid. I became a teacher And then realized, uh uh-oh, I don't do elementary school teaching very well (laughs) because of the repetition. I got kind of bored with the routine. So I got my master's, moved into school board office administration, supervisory roles, and loved working with the teachers. But I did not enjoy the politics and bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. So I ended up leaving that whole career of public education and just ventured out on my own Uh, with no business background, this should be very encouraging to any of your listeners that wonder, gee, can I make a switch if I want to make a major career change? I just had confidence in my ability to learn what I would need to know. And this was way back, you know, in the earlier 80s with no internet or anything. And so I just studied and started doing. And what I started doing was building on my teaching expertise And my passion, which had emerged when I worked with teachers, was around communication skills. How do people interact with each other? So that has been an ongoing passion now for 40 years. Wow. (laughs) And so that has never wavered because there's so much pain around relationships. And um, in 1990, I was being a solopreneur and met Denny Coates, and we started collaborating on things. And after working together for a year, decided we wanted to put our businesses together. And we brought in a third partner who managed everything else. He and I were consultants and trainers at that time. And so for 30 years now, the three of us have worked together. And we shifted in 1994 from being consultants and trainers to being a software company where we started creating tools that would help with assessing a person's skills and helping them develop those skills. That's incredible. Meredith, I'm so grateful you shared your journey. And before we really dive into the topic, um, you're right. I think your story is really motivating to my listeners. As we've t- I've talked about on the podcast before, COVID has really been a powerful pause for so many people to really reassess. Obviously, we hear about the great resignation around people leaving roles, uh, companies having trouble finding good talent, because people are really reassessing what's important to them. And I think people more so now than ever are willing to really make a career pivot. So I'm curious just to dive into that just a little bit. What gave you the courage to completely shift from being in a really steady, secure environment of teaching um, to completely switching to opening your own business? You know, this probably won't come as a surprise for you, Natalie. It wasn't courage so much as pain. 
<laughs> I can <laughs> yes, I can relate to that. <laughs> Thinking about some of the other folks you've spoken to on your podcast, we often are motive more most most motivated to take action when we want to escape from something that's painful more so than go after something that's more promising. Because at that time, I really didn't know what the future would hold. I just knew I was in a position, and I know you'll identify with this, and many of your listeners will too, where I was given responsibility for a specific program, but no authority mm-hmm. to make sure it went well. Yep. So I felt like I was set up for failure. What was interesting was I was in the, my last position that I worked for someone for two years. The first year, the gentleman who hired me was like my perfect boss. You know, he had confidence in me. I felt good when he hired me. He gave me free reign. He recognized my strengths. He supported me where he needed to. And then he let me go and be creative and do all kinds of cool things. And then we got a new superintendent of schools and he came in and shifted everything. I got a different boss. The superintendent put me in charge of a program I had no background in. And then there was another one I was already in charge of, and that was the one where I was given no authority to run it. So it was like I was just being set up to fail in every area. And that's not my nature. My nature is, you know, get things done. So that was causing me to actually have physical pain, literal uh, physical pain. And I just thought, there's got to be a better place than this. I I didn't see any way out. And I just had burned out, I guess, and recognized I couldn't, it wasn't sustainable for me to stay there. So I've always enjoyed new challenges growing. So I thought, all right, I'm and I was newly remarried at the time. My husband uh was so supportive of me leaving and going out and trying something on my own. So I think that meant a lot. And if you talk about getting courage, you know, I had encouragement from him to support. And that means a lot when you're wondering, is this going to work or not? But if he believes in me, that helps. So that was a a big piece. And I am an avid learner. I'm a quick learner. So I studied and just started doing stuff. And what was interesting is I... The marketing uh, approach I chose was getting out and speaking to groups where I could be in front of potential clients. And so I used my skills. And I think that's a good takeaway for folks. You know, what skills do I have that I can apply in a different setting where I could really shine in that area if where I am right now is just not working for me? Yeah, and I'm so glad you shared that because I think so many people think, oh, I'm going to do this complete career pivot and I've been doing XYZ for 20 years or 30 years and all of a sudden I want to do this other thing, but I have to start all over. And I'm so glad you said that because we all have transferable skills. We mm-hmm. That experience, even if we're in a different industry, in a different role, um, even if we want to completely shift and do something, you know, purpose driven, we want to go from being in corporate to being a, a chef. All of the skills that we've learned in corporate are completely applicable. So you're not really starting over. And I think, you know, we we tend to go there out of fear and our ner- our own nerves and self doubt. And I also love what you said, and I can completely relate to the encouragement because making a big shift like that is scary. There were plenty of days I 
had the self-doubt creep in and the inner saboteur that I've talked about before. And to have someone there believing in you on the days you don't believe in yourself um, have been absolutely transformational for me. And so I, I'm grateful you shared that too, because I think it's Im- important. And I also think it's a, a it's a good reason if you don't have someone like that in your life to have a coach and to have that kind of support and accountability along the way to to remind you of mm-hmm. who you are and what your strengths are as you're making a transition. So thank you for, uh, you know, kind of going down that path and, and sharing that with my listeners. I, I really appreciate it. Your your passion is around communication and teaching communication. And I love what you say about, you know, communication is the heart and the essence of all of our personal relationships, our professional relationships. And so for today, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things we could be talking about today. Uh, communication is such a broad topic. But I thought for the purpose of today that we would really hone in on how to give and receive feedback. It's that time of year People are planning for year-end conversations. Um, I was just in a group yesterday and the day before in a group coaching call where they were sharing all of the feelings that come up for them as leaders around giving and receiving feedback. And it was, you know, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I'm fearful, I I lose sleep at night. And um, especially when it's not so great feedback and it's someone that you really like working with, you know, someone you like personally, but you're having to give them some constructive feedback. So I really would love to dive into that conversation. And, you know, you have two books, I have them, uh, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. And so before we dive into the feedback conversation, I would love for you just to share what inspired you to write the books? Well, as passionate as I've been about this topic all these years, there's still so much pain in workplaces and in homes around this lack of communication. And it's because, you know, our parents typically have not learned the skills. And so they do the best they can. And then we go to school and our schools aren't teaching us how to communicate well. So then we get into the workplace and we're expected to have the skills. And so what you just said about these leaders you're working with who are anxious around feedback, that just shows you how the the need for what we're doing. Yeah. Why we and that's why we wrote the books because we wanted to distill into easy to understand and apply steps of what it means to do things like give give constructive feedback, give positive feedback, receive feedback. All of those are critical for effective interactions. And it's a shame that we do lose, lose sleep over this. And I'll tell you one of the key things, Natalie, oh, well, let me finish answering your question. So the first part of the the connect with your team book is all around relieving some of the pain and giving people, equipping people with what they need to be able to have conversations without feeling anxious. And then the peer coaching made simple, we wrote because too often organizations are not able, most of the time, they can't bring in a coach for everyone. You know, executive coaches at the best typically are at mid-level managers and above. 
So everyone else is just left to kind of fend for themselves. And so we wanted to create a, a resource that would make it easy for a company to put in place peer coach partners who could work with each other to hold each other accountable and support each other as they're trying to improve communication skills because of how difficult it is to change any habit, but especially one that's so ingrained in us, like the way we listen or the way we avoid giving feedback. You know, all these things are hardwired in our brains and it takes support to rewire and get that new behavior established over time. Absolutely. And what I love, I love both the books. I will have the links to both of them in the show notes. Great. Um, so people can go and purchase them. What I especially love about the Pure Coaching Made Simple is how practical it is. I love that, you know, so many uh, professional development books, they give you the insights, they tell you what to do, but they don't tell you how to do it. And what I love about the Pure Coaching Made Simple is, there are real examples of conversations and the back and forth of how to do it and what it looks like. And for someone like myself, who's very visual and very experiential, I really appreciated that you had so many examples in the book of um, live coaching examples of those conversations. So I thought, I thought it's great. So great job on that. And like I said, I really highly recommend it to everyone. I want to uh, address, if I could, this whole thing of feedback, because I think it's so important. And knowing you from, you know, your your podcast and just your approach, I think you'll love what I'm about to say. If we can adopt a mindset that's neutral about receiving feedback in particular, mm-hmm. but also giving it so that we don't attach all these negative emotions, all this past history with this individual. If And I love thinking about Dory in Finding Nemo. You know, she had short-term memory loss, so she couldn't remember things. And so if we could be more like Dory, <laughs> when we get into a conversation with someone and we let go uh, it's not like we pretend it never happened, but we are coming with a fresh perspective and assuming the best of this other person. And I think that if we can approach a, let's talk about giving someone feedback first. A key area there is to imagine how can I have this conversation with this person and be honest with them in the context of supporting them? As opposed to feeling like I've got to be corrective, you know, I've got to set them straight. I've got this to associate a negative meaning because it doesn't have meaning until we attach it. Mm-hmm. And so if we can say, we're going to have a conversation here. I am here to help this person because they have a blind spot here and I can help them remove that blind spot so they can be more effective. And I think one of the things that might be encouraging to your listeners is to recognize that they can think about the context of this person's work. So normally, if they're a high performer, but there's this one issue, they can affirm all the other things they do well. 
So the person doesn't feel like they're just laser focused on this one negative thing without looking at everything else in context. But then to realize how important it is to be specific, you know, what is the thing? And did you observe it personally? Because if it's hearsay, that's that opens up the door for the person to argue back. No, that's not what I said. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have that firsthand information and then not just address it with the person, but to explain what impact it had. What was the consequence of doing it that way? Let's just say it's someone you you are in charge of running this meeting and you have one person in the room that is consistently dominating, interrupting others, you know, trying to own the floor mm-hmm. and you're letting it go, but you know, you can't because you can see how it's affecting everybody else. You've right. got to address it. So to be able to sit down with this person and say, you know, I love your enthusiasm and your desire to be a real contributor in our meetings. What I'm noticing is others aren't having the opportunity to be heard. And when they try to speak up, you're interrupting them and not letting them finish. I don't think you're realizing this, but what it's doing is it's robbing all of us from hearing from everybody and benefiting from the ideas of everyone else. So, and then ask them, have you, are you aware that you're doing this? Because sometimes they don't have a clue. Other times they know and they don't care. They, they want to make their point. And so that response is going to guide what it is you say next. Because if they say, yeah, I, I feel like it's important for me, you know, nobody else is speaking up well, but I'm seeing that they're not having that opportunity. And so are you willing in the future to give people an opportunity to speak up before you continue with what you want to say? So what you're trying to do is help them see an alternative behavior mm-hmm. and and without being overly directive at first. You know, adults are no different than kids. <laughs> I'm a grandmother now, and I know with our five and seven-year-old grandchildren that, you know, if you tell them directly, don't do that, then that's what they want to do. But if you can get them to buy in to an alternative way that can work for them and for you, it goes much better. And adults feel even more strongly about that. So for me to sit down with this individual and say, don't ever do that again. Right. What does that do for building our relationship? Nothing. It divides it, that it kind of destroys the trust. And so if the person senses we really care about the whole as well as them, and we want this to work for everybody, they sense where you're coming from. And that makes a huge difference. But it's important for them to end the conversation with being clear of what it is you need from them and get their commitment and agreement that they're willing to do that. So that if it comes up again, then you've got this conversation to refer back to. And just maintaining a curious mindset, I think is so key. And I know you're, you know, you've got that natural curiosity. It's something we can all learn to do more of. And if we can stay in that curious mode to find out, well, what was behind that? What's behind that? And not make assumptions 
it keeps us from judging and criticizing and assuming the worst about a person and gives them an opportunity to show us because maybe they've got some real important stuff going on personally, or they've got some other issue going on that is behind the behavior we're seeing. Sure. Yeah, I love I love everything you're sharing. And like I said, we just had this this module with our group coaching program uh, yesterday and the day before. And what came up was, you know, as a manager, I get heated when I see someone interrupting other people, or I get heated when I see certain types of behavior. And so I think what you're bringing up is so important of we need to make sure as leaders, we're in the right mindset when we're delivering that feedback. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We need to take Mm -hmm. a breath. We need to calm down, right? We need to be aware of how we're coming off and how we're going into that conversation and making sure that we do have a coaching mindset. And um, like you said, you know, the best of intentions and um, people were saying, yeah, I really realize that, you know, I get up, I get upset when I see certain types of behavior and I want to address it right in the moment. Um, but I realize I need to kind of calm down first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, taking a meeting in, in, again, as an example, I think as leaders, we have to have the emotional intelligence to not react in the moment and put somebody down uh, if they're interrupting or doing something that's, you know, uh, that we find offensive or, you know, frustrating. Because what happens is if the other people in the meeting watch that, they actually come to the defense of the offender. Right. <laughs> Many right. times if the leader is responding inappropriately. But there are ways of being able to deliver, even in a group setting, respond in a way. I think what you just hit on something so important. We get triggered by someone else's behavior. And we're reacting from that place mm-hmm. beyond just what's occurring in the moment. So we're attaching meaning to it. That's our interpretation of what's going on. And we get our egos in the way. And that's when we want to jump in and set them straight and you know, be right. Yeah. And instead, if we can pause, like you say, and take a breath and say, what is the most effective thing I could do here? What's the most effective thing I could say right now that would help move this situation forward in a positive way? Mm-hmm. And, you know, respect everyone, maintain the relationship. I think that's a key thing. If we can have this question that we bring to mind, what's most helpful right now? Mm-hmm. Something simple that's easy to remember, that's our trigger to replace the other one that causes us to escalate our emotions. I think that's huge because people can read us too. You know, it isn't just what we say, it's how they see a a raise our eyebrows or, you know, our facial expression that changes and being able to maintain that calm, neutral stance in a potentially volatile situation, I think falls on the leader's shoulders. People are watching. Absolutely. And observing and learning. Absolutely. And that's really, you know, an important thing. So looking at the long term, not just in the moment, what do I want to do? I yes, I love that. I it, um I have a friend who I would sit in meetings with and I I would say to her, Wow, you you said a lot during that meeting. She's like, I really didn't say anything. I'm like, no, it was all over your face. <laughs> 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 
because she would say so much with her facial expressions, even though she wasn't verbally expressing it. And so I, you know, we would, we would laugh about it, but uh, it was something she, she worked on because she realized that she, she was communicating and people were watching and people were seeing. So um, one of the things you talk about in the book around giving feed, you know, giving constructive feedback is you talk about giving feedback while the incident's still fresh. So doing it, you know, within 24 or 48 hours, making sure that you're giving it promptly. And kind of coupled with that, which I think is interesting and something important also is checking to make sure that the person's ready to receive the feedback. I think so often, even with our kids, right? Like they're not, they're in a tough spot. They're still having the emotions of, whatever the argument was with their brother or sister, or if it's a colleague, and they're still wrapped up in their emotions. And if we're in a place to start giving feedback, you know, they're not in a place to receive it. So mm-hmm. I love that you said, you know, check to make sure and you say specifically, you know, ask if this is a good time to share the feedback. And um, so do you have any other you know thoughts you wanted to contribute there? Because I think I think I just think it's a really important point I wanted to bring up that you talked about. Yeah, I, I think it is so important. Because again, if we're coming strictly from our need, mm-hmm. I got to get this off my chest, I want to get this it's handled now so I can move on. I don't want to keep carrying this. But the the thing, we, again, we have to ask ourselves, is, is this really the right time to try to reason with this person or, you know, give feedback? Because if they're already upset or in a bad place, they're not going to be able to hear us and they're going to tend to react defensively. And what we want to do is ask ourselves, how can I set the stage so this information lands (laughs) with this person in the best possible way and we get the agreement and the outcome going forward that we want to have? What conditions are needed to make that happen? And so to check with that other person, you know, sometimes you might think, well, you know, they might never be ready, but I that's kind of a cop-out because what we want to really do is be sensitive to where they are at this moment and just say, I have something I want to talk to you about related to the meeting. Is now a good time or would tomorrow be better? You know, it's so that you're not giving them an open-ended way to avoid it forever, but you're you're respecting the fact that this might not be the best moment right now. We don't know what other people are dealing with you know, what What may have triggered them over things that have happened. So checking with them first to me is a very respectful thing to do, and it helps build up that trust. I completely agree with you. One of the other things I would love for you to uh, share and talk a little bit more about is owning your feedback, using I statements. So would you, I think I saw this a lot in my my old company in terms of, you know, well, the team said this or the team said that. So can you share a little bit more context around, you know, using I statements? Well, it ties back to what I said earlier about it directly observing the incident or the situation. So you're not, you're not trying to get yourself off the hook of the feedback is from me. Mm -hmm. So I want to share with you something I observed. And I have to say, I was disappointed 
you know, own your feelings and just say, I was disappointed because this isn't like you. You know, normally you just are so positive, upbeat, and affirming of others. But this one time you said this, which to me really came across negatively. And I saw, you know, let's say it was somebody else. I saw Natalie's expression and she looked deflated after what you said. And so I want to just talk about that because that's not how we treat each other here. You can still reference the larger group, but I own my unhappiness with what happened and describe it to you. I think where we can get into trouble is when we use words like, I'm really angry that you did that. That immediately, when somebody says, I'm really angry with you, it's like, whoa. You know, there's this um, separation that happens. And so I'm not saying to soft pedal it. I'm saying, look at how we can frame the conversation to help the other person hear us. So if we are angry, we probably need to calm down before we have a conversation, you know, (laughs) really, because anger doesn't serve us in terms of trying to have an open conversation with another person. So setting the stage where, how do I need to be? Where do I need to come from? I need to come from a place of caring about this other human being. And so until I can feel that caring and not anger, resentment, or some other things, then I need to work on myself first. Mm, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. One of the things uh, we'll dive into too is being on the receiving end yes. of constructive I was hoping feedback. we'd get back to that Yes, <laughs> Yes, because, but, you know, kind of staying with giving feedback, you talk about it in the book and you talk about it um, of expressing, you know, offering encouragement and expressing appreciation. I think that is really what needs to happen before any of the feedback happens. And that needs to be continuously, you know, you need to be putting deposits into people's accounts. Yes. And um, there was actually a Harvard Business Review article, and I I might not get the stats exactly right, but it was something to the effect of for high-performing teams, there were six positives for each one constructive piece of feedback. So you had to deposit six times into that person's account. And then for medium-performing teams, I think it was three to one. So three positives to one constructive feedback. And then for low performing teams, you know, it was one to six. <laughs> it, right. It was, it was it was reversed, right? Uh-huh. And so I think in order for people to be prepared for constructive feedback, you need to have had made deposits in their appreciation and encouragement accounts. Absolutely. Yes. And that's why I think people get nervous, uneasy, lose sleep over these annual performance reviews because they haven't been making those deposits over time or even giving the constructive feedback that needed to be given as it happened. And so there's this accumulation of things like we have this laundry list now that we're going to have to address. Well, why on earth didn't they get addressed as they happened? Because if you sit down with someone six months or a year later and say, well, you know, you've just not been doing this and this and this. And it's like, where did that come from? You haven't said anything about this at all. How was I supposed to know? And so Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to 
and I love what you're bringing up because one of my favorite skills in the book is expressing appreciation because we don't receive that enough and we don't give it enough. And this whole thing of raising our awareness to look for opportunities to point out positives. And let me just give a specific example again, because I'm not saying, you know, every day look for a time to say, hey, you're the best, you know, or you're great. No, it's looking for specific behaviors that you want to reinforce. You want everybody to know that's an important behavior around here because I bring it up when you do it well. And so, again, let's just go back to a meeting. If you noticed one person was paying attention to who did and didn't contribute, and let's say you're getting towards the end of the meeting and and they say, hey, Natalie hasn't had a chance to speak up yet. I'd like to hear what she has to say. Well, afterwards, I could go to that person and say, I am so glad that you noticed that Natalie hadn't contributed. That's so important because, you know, we value input from everyone. And you took the initiative to really point that out. I appreciate that. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's not phony. It's not, you know, false. It's genuine based on behaviors that we value. Yeah. And and the problem is too often we just either don't have our radar up to notice and pay attention to those or we take them for granted or worse we think well that's just what they ought to do. It's what we're paying them for. And that kind of attitude undermines peak performance. Mm-hmm. Because Definitely. every one of us wants to feel like we matter. And it's only when we can, I mean, we can do it to a certain degree to ourselves, but it elevates us even more when someone else that we respect and care about takes the time to say that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I love what you're saying because some companies have their company values up on the wall and that's the only place they are, right? But what you're really talking about is as a leader and as colleagues, we all have an individual role in living the values of the company, especially hopefully if they're in alignment with your own personal values. And as a manager, as you're pointing things out and and really showing the team and the individual opportunities where they're living into those values, I think it's so important. And it's really it really becomes a way of living those values instead of just having them be, you know, something on the wall. So, you know, as I'm listening to you now, I'm kind of getting chills because what's hitting me is what really people in essence want to know is, do you care about me? Do you love me? Because we all have these self doubts about how lovable am I? And we're looking for reasons why people would reject us or wouldn't love us. And so as a leader, if we can see one of our roles and responsibilities is to have this depth of caring with people that they feel it as a part of just being around us because of how we are when we're with them. If it's a one-on-one conversation, we do everything we can to make that individual feel like the most important person in our world at that moment. And when we do that, the the sense of commitment and loyalty and motivation, it's almost indescribable, but it's real. 
it's it's genuine. And I think too often we underestimate the impact of letting people know we care because we're afraid of being vulnerable. We're afraid of looking weak. And in fact, that is strength. Yes. Yes. I love what you're sharing, Meredith. And as you were talking, I was thinking about parents because as you were talking about being really present with someone and letting them know how much you care and finding behaviors that are really in alignment with your your values, I was thinking how important and what a gift that is to our children to be fully present, to not be on our phones, to be really uh, curious and asking questions and engaging and also finding behaviors that aren't just around the KPIs and what did you do? How did you perform in school? Oh, great. You got, you know, little Johnny, you got an A on your, on your test. Well, so often as kids, you know, I, I know that's, you know, how I was brought up too. And it was like, we were always praised on our performance and also at work, you know, that tends to be the thing. It's like, you're praised on your performance, but the how is what's important the how of what we do. And so I think it's equally as important, especially with kids, to say, hey, I noticed that you were a really good friend and you you helped, you know, you helped your friend get through a difficult time. You know, it's not around you did a good job and you got the medal. It's around who you are as a person, your character. Yes. And so yes. I think that's so important too, to be giving that kind of feedback to our colleagues, to, you know, our team members, as well as to our kids. Oh, yes. And there's, this is so fun because every time you say something, it's like, boom, something else comes <laughs> off in my head. And, and so what I was just thinking is this question that a leader can ask themselves, who do I need to be in this moment? We often look at, you know, our personality. I'm uncomfortable with this. We can set that aside. And just say, who do I need to be right now? How do I need to show up? Because I can choose to be any way I want in a given moment. And so being so tuned into this other person, what does this other person need from me right now? And I I thought of something that I think could be really valuable for your listeners who And we all have this one person, maybe more, but one always who is a challenge for us in terms of their, their personality or just, you know, we tend to clash with them. And so what could we do to get past that? And here's, here's something I learned years ago from a podcast with Dan Sullivan, who is the, um, owner of Strategic Coach. I don't know okay. if you're familiar with yep. him. Mm-hmm. Brilliant guy. And he said something I have remembered all these years. If you have someone you're getting ready to have a conversation with, and you're not sure how it's going to go, one of the things you can do to set the stage is take time to write down all the things about that person you appreciate and you mm-hmm. value. Before they ever walk in the door or you get on a Zoom call with them or get on the phone. Because what that does, he was saying, you know, land and and investments, we look for those to appreciate. We don't think so much about people. But when we apply this to people, what happens is we elevate and appreciate, we increase 
the value of that person in our own mind before we ever talk to them. And so what that does is it causes the negative feelings, you know, experiences we've had with them to kind of get put in perspective or even set aside because we look at all the good things they contribute. And so when they walk in the door, literally or figuratively, then we have this different attitude towards them and they can feel that. They actually can feel it. We don't have to say, oh, I've been thinking about all things I appreciate about you. No, that's not the purpose of the exercise. It's to get our own minds in the state that is going to convey to that person, you matter, you're important. And as a result of the way we interact with them from that state of being, then here's the beauty. Their own appreciation of their value goes up in their own mind. Mm, I love that. I mean, isn't that, to me, it's just magnificent because we have that kind of power with people. We can tear people down. We can raise them up. And I think that that is part of the role of a leader. How can I elevate everyone who's on my team? And that doesn't mean, you know, uh, spoiling or, or um, you know, handling them with kid gloves. It means how can I help them see who they really are, what they can do and help them stretch and grow and make it safe for them to make mistakes because they know I'm here to support them as they move along in this journey. Mm-hmm. I just think that is so huge. It's probably the greatest gift a real leader can give is help someone appreciate their own value and and maximize it over time. Not just what they contribute to the company, but what they contribute in their lives with everyone they encounter. Mm, pure magic here, Meredith. I love <laughs> I love it. I love it. So as we kind of close out the conversation, I want to make sure we get to, because um, this was all so good, a receiving feedback. So how do you receive constructive feedback that that isn't so great? We, we talked about this also in our group coaching call yesterday um, around, you know, people you know, do the sandwich method. And then they're, you know, they're giving me positive, 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 but then there's that one negative or that one piece of constructive feedback. And that's the only thing I can focus on. And, you know, it really upsets me. And, you know, people were having a hard time receiving constructive feedback. So Mm -hmm. how can we, as you say in the book, how can we accept feedback graciously? Uh, Well, this is another favorite topic because it's, it's really all about setting aside our egos and recognizing I'm a human being. I make mistakes. <laughs> I need other people to help me learn my blind spots so that I can become more aware. So it's it may sound trite, but it isn't to look at feedback as a gift and think when somebody is coming to me, they had to work up the courage to come to me, they could have been rehearsing this conversation in their head, afraid of how I'm going to respond. So again, what can I do to respond in a way that moves our relationship forward and doesn't put a wedge between us? And so that requires being curious, being open, and setting aside the need or desire to defend, 
justify and explain why we did what we did. Forget that. Nobody wants to hear it. Imagine how you feel when you go to talk to somebody and they start coming back to you arguing how you're wrong and what they did was right. It doesn't ever work, no matter how much in the right you feel. (laughs) Right. And so I think a couple of things that are important for a leader to be willing to be humble and to be willing to apologize so that if somebody comes to you and says, you know, the way you treated me yesterday in front of that group, I'm really mad about that. It, you know, it just hurt my feelings. And so you can say, oh, but, you know, I was having a bad day and you just hit me wrong. And it's like, but you're not acknowledging the validity of what they're saying, you're negating it. And so in a way you're putting that person down, you know, how do I want this person to feel at the end of the conversation? How do I want to feel afterwards? I want to be proud of how I handled it. So to, to first of all, invite it. In fact, here's a question people could ask to be taking the initiative on this and not getting surprises at performance reviews to simply go up to someone it could be your boss, it could be a coworker, it could be a team a member, a peer. What's one thing I could do differently that would make your experience working with me better? Mm-hmm. What's one thing I could do differently? So you're not asking for a laundry list. You're looking for one thing that you may be doing that's causing problems for them that you didn't even know about. So be, taking the initiative is a first step. But if somebody does come to you, then being willing to say, I want to hear what you have to say. Please be honest with me. I promise I won't bite. You know, you, so you, you help them relax so they can be, because you know what? Most people aren't skilled at giving feedback. And so they aren't going to do it perfectly. They may or may not sandwich it. You know, (laughs) they may just blurt it out. And then, so staying curious, staying neutral, this is information I need to have. Because maybe they have a misperception about something, or maybe I really screwed up. Either way, it doesn't matter. I need to find out where they're coming from because the relationship is so important. So keeping that conversation going until you can find out if they were really hurt or offended by something I said, the very first thing I need to do is apologize. Whether I intended it or not doesn't matter. It's what they felt what they received. So to say, I apologize for saying that. I had no idea it had that impact on you. And I am so grateful that you came to me and told me. I really appreciate your honesty. You see, when we can respond without our ego jumping in, it helps the other person feel like they can talk to us and tell us the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need. We all need the truth, or we need at least the perspective. And 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 so if you've really hurt someone to even say, what can I do to make it right? If you sense they're still agitated about it, because maybe there's nothing, maybe they just needed to talk to you, but maybe you said it in front of someone else and they were embarrassed and they would like you to talk to the other person, but to find out, give them the opportunity to tell you what it was that they would like you to do and then make a commitment I'm going to work hard not to ever repeat this, but if I do, I want you to bring it up to me again, because my intention is to focus on doing this instead of that. And so again, giving them permission to come back to you and talk about it is really an important 
part and saying, I'm going to work on changing this. It's just huge for not putting a wedge and building a bridge between you and that other person. Absolutely. 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 I love, I love everything you shared and I love the follow, the follow up, you know, making sure, you know, Hey, hold me accountable. Let me know if you see this again. I really want to invite you to give me that feedback. I I think it's really important whether you're getting that feedback directly or whether you're getting that feedback through a 360, you know, people took the time to give you that feedback and letting them know, like, I really appreciate your honesty. I'm going to be working on these two or three things. And let me know how you see it going. If you see me, you know, give me feedback either way. And just know that I appreciate the feedback and I'm working on it. And I think that means people appreciate that they felt heard. They felt like you're taking their feedback and you're putting it to good use and, and you're willing to make a change. So mm-hmm. I love everything you're sharing. So we, I could literally continue this conversation for three more hours. Um, but I would just love as we close up, I, I'm so grateful for you coming on the show and sharing all of your wisdom. Like I said, I will absolutely have the book titles in the show notes and with links where people can click on Amazon and purchase those. I highly recommend it. Um, would love as we close up to just maybe have you share one insight because I'm all around turning insight into action. So maybe one insight that you have or that you've shared today that you would really like my listeners to um, put into action and maybe try on a new behavior. Wow. You know, Natalie, there are so many things that we, we, we talked about. I think a key thing is just to ask more questions, to learn more, to stay in that curious mindset. Uh, in fact, when someone comes to you and asks you, what should I do? You know, what I've got this problem, help me. If you could just learn to start saying, well, what do you think? Before giving an answer, what you're doing there is helping people realize they're more self-reliant than they thought. And if they come to you constantly with questions, that tells you something as a leader that you may not be making it safe for people to make mistakes because they feel like they have to check with you constantly before they can take the next step. And then that eats away your time of getting some of your other priorities done. So if you can ask, just learn to ask people some version of what do you think? You know, what options have you considered? Which plan do you recommend? There's so many variations of that one question, but if they could just hold that in their minds when either their children or, you know, their team members come to them, it really stimulates their own thinking and helps them realize you want them to be independent thinkers. You value their opinion. You're not the one. And it the other side benefit is it relieves the pressure of being the one that always has to have the answers. Mm-hmm. And you're showing them, hey, you may have a better idea than I do. So I'd really like to hear what you have to say first. I think that's wonderful advice. Meredith, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and, and your years of expertise with my listeners. I'm so, so grateful. So thank you again. Oh, my pleasure, Natalie. It was so much fun and beneficial. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. 
my invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Oh, 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 oh,